Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar. This is going to be episode 24 of The Informed Catholic, episode 24 of the third season, which is 2021, episode 24. Now, before we begin, please subscribe and share to the podcast. If you like what I do and you think I'm doing a good job, it would be a great help. Please subscribe and share. Now, let's begin with the act of contrition. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, and all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Kiri elision, kiri elision, kiri elision. Christe elision, Christe elision, Christe elision. Kiri elision, kiri elision, kiri elision. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to people of goodwill. We praise you. We bless you. We adore you. We glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, heavenly King, O God, almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world. Receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father. Have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One. You alone are the Lord. You alone are the Most High. Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and the glory of God the Father. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so this is the um, thir Thursday of the second week of Ordinary Time, and we're still continuing with the uh, letter to the Hebrews. Uh, traditionally, it is St. Paul's letter to the Hebrews. It's a very beautiful, awesome, powerful book uh, with a lot of typology, with a lot of sacred images in it. Uh, it's one that people really, really should dive into. One of the things about it, it will force you to want to be familiar with the Old Testament. Um, that's what makes the book of Hebrews beautiful. And so when you get familiar with the Old Testament, you're going to get familiar with Christ and you're going to get familiar with salvation history. All right, so let's begin in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, he, uh, letter to the Hebrews, chapter 7, 25, going to chapter 8, verse 6. All right. He offered sacrifices once for all when he offered himself. A reading from the letter to the Hebrews. Jesus is always able to save those who approach God through him, since he lives forever to make intercession for them. It was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, higher than the heavens. He has no need, as did the high priests, to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. He did that once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints men subject to weakness to be high priest. But the word of the oath, which was taken after the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. The main part of what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. 
a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle that the Lord, not man, set up. Now every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus the necessity for this one also um, also to have something to offer. If then he were on he were he were on earth, he would not be a high priest, since there are those who offer gifts according to the law. They worship in a copy and a shadow of the heavenly sanctuary, as Moses was warned when he was about to erect the tabernacle. For God says, See that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Now he has obtained so much more excellent a ministry as he is a mediator of a better covenant enacted on better promises. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, this is a long one. Um, I'm not going to... Uh, well, maybe I should. I, I, it's, it's, a, it's better that I do read it one more time, right? I'll do it again. Jesus is always able to save those who approach God through him, since he lives forever to make intercession for them. It was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, higher than the heavens. He has no need, as did the high priest, to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. He did that once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints men subject to weakness to be high priests. But the word of the oath which was taken after the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. The main point of what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle that the Lord, not man, set up. Now every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, thus the necessity for this one also to have something to offer. If then he were on earth, he would not be a high priest, since there are those who offer gifts according to the law. They worship, okay, I'm sorry, according to the law, Okay, according to the law, they worship in a copy and a shadow to erect the tabernacle. For God says, see that you, makes, you, you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Now, he has obtained, now he has obtained so much more excellent ministry as he is a mediator of a better covenant enacted on a better promise, better promises. Okay, it's quite a lot. <laughs> it's a long one. And all right, Jesus is always able to save those who approach God through him, since he lives forever to make intercession for them. There are two natures in Christ. There's a human and there's a divine. The divine part, the, uh, the, I don't want to use the word part. It's wrong. I don't like it. The divine nature. Um, 
is God. But there's one person, remember, one person with two natures. And therefore, let's just say this. He is the perfect high priest. The perfect high priest. He doesn't, he, a one who never sins, innocent, pure, as it says, higher than the higher heavens. How could one who's human be higher than the higher heavens unless he is God? Higher than the heavens, separated from sinners, higher than the heavens. He has no need, as did the high priest, the high priest, the, the, like the old high priest, they had to offer sacrifices first for themselves because they're sinners. And then for the people. In this case, he, has, he doesn't have to offer sacrifices for himself. He offers, he offers sacrifices for the people. That's why he is priest, king, prophet. All right? Prophet, and then he is also, he offers himself as victim, as a sacrifice. How much more excellent can there possibly be? He himself. And then, of course, like it says here, um, you know, the law, the law, first of all, you, you know, he, it says in the law, that he is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. In a sense that the first is the earthly, uh, first there's the high priesthood, and then there's the fact that he is son and king, heir to a throne. Perfect. You know, um, you know I, I think he's, it's just unbelievably perfect and it's beautiful when it, how it talks about him. And now, you know, it goes on to say like how the earthly uh, sanctuary, the, the portable tabernacle that the Israelites made during the days of Moses, and then you have the temple, which was the... Um, which was the one set in Jerusalem. Now, what's the difference between the two? They're both technically the same. The di but what makes a difference is the Israelites were a wandering people, a people on a, on a pilgrimage through the wilderness. And kind of nomad they were nomadic, but at the same time, they had God with them. God was among them. Emmanuel, God is with us. And they carried with them the portable tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant. And that was a picture of the Incarnation. It's a picture of the Incarnation, but it's also a type picture of us Christians on a pilgrimage on earth, sojourners, wanderers. The truth is we ourselves who accept Christ are baptized in Christ, are um, alive in Christ, worship Him, are really pilgrims. God is with us. God is among us. But we must 
we must always be aware of his presence. Um, and, you know, and Moses himself saw a pattern on the mountain. He saw this pattern on the mountain of, of the, of the tabernacle. And, um, in a sense that in many cases, we, we ourselves, we are also, like it says, we are members of the body of Christ. We are his temple. We are his tabernacle. All right, so let's move on to um, to the Psalms. Okay, so now we're in Psalm 40. And let's see here. This is uh, the response is, Here am I, Lord. I come to do your will. Okay. Sacrifice or abolition you wish not, but ears open to obedience you gave me. Burnt offerings or sin offerings you sought not. Then I said, Behold, I come. Here am I, Lord, I come to do your will. In the written scroll it is prescribed for me to do your will, O my God, is my delight, and your law is within my heart. Here am I, Lord, I come to do your will. I announce your justice in the vast assembly. I did not restrain my lips as you, O Lord, know. Here my Lord, I come to do your will. May I may all who seek you exult and be glad in you, and may those who love your salvation say ever the Lord be glorified. Here am I, Lord, I come to do your will. This again, we've we went through this, I think, something similar to this. Um because we remember we did the one about Melchizedek. The part here, um sacrifice or, or abolition you wish not, but ears open to obedience you gave me. Burn offerings or sin offerings you sought not, then I said I be I behold I I come. The part here, uh, it's in the Greek can be translated, you prepared a body for me. Uh, this is in the subduigent version, the Greek version of the psalm. It's often translated like that. Uh, the translators tra uh, in Alexandria, that's how they chose to translate it from, from the Hebrew. Um, and that always, uh, by some, according to some, uh, is believed uh, is referring to the incarnation because over here he's talking about a, a sacrifice and doing will in a sense a body and an ear is like basically to hear and to perform the will of the uh, of, of God the Father that's how it was translated and then it goes on to say in the written scroll it is prescribed for me to do your will and, you know, in the book of Hebrews, the letter, again, I keep saying book, but letter to the Hebrews, it uses the Greek version, you have prepared a body for me. And it's the same thing. I know some people will think that they don't, doesn't sound like the same thing. You have to look at it from a theological perspective. All right. You have to look at it from a theological perspective as how, as how the ancients understood it, not how we understand it. Uh, you know, an ear, and but an open ear to uh, to obedience you gave me. In uh, I believe the Hebrews 
makes reference. Hold on. I like to check it out, actually. All right. So this is this is it here. Uh, this is, again, uh, from Hebrews uh, chapter 10. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. This is the great, this is the correct, this is the, the subduigent version. But a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I, I come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So you see uh, the, the very fascinating uh, understanding of this, of this particular uh, passage is it's messianic. This is why we have to be familiar with the with the scriptures. It's very important that we be familiar with it, not to become expert scholars, but to be that it's it's like breathing. It's like eating, drinking, and breathing, and not obsessive, but in love. You're in love. You're in love with the word of God. You're in love with Jesus. You want to know everything about him. You want to know everything about God. You want to, you know, you know, you want to, you know, you want God on your mind. You want him in your thoughts. Your, you want him in the depths of your being. You want to be close to God and you get close to God through prayer, through reading of the scriptures, uh, through the liturgy, through the Eucharist, you want to know this. The only way you can get to know who God is and have this relationship. That's why this is important. Anyway, so, okay, so um, let's continue. Let's go to the um, the gospel. All right, so now we're in... Uh, Okay, this is going to be Mark again. We're still continuing with Mark. So let's continue here. Alleluia, alleluia. Our Savior Jesus Christ has destroyed death and brought life to light through the, uh, through the gospel. Sorry about that. Our Savior Jesus Christ has destroyed death and brought life to light through the gospel. Alleluia, alleluia. And this is Mark chapter 3. Uh, St. Mark chapter 3, chapter three, verse 7 to 12. And it says here, The unclean spirit shouted, You are the Son of God. But Jesus warned them sternly not to make him known. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. Jesus withdrew towards the sea with his disciples. A large number of people followed from Galilee and from Judea. Hearing what he was, what he was doing, a large number of people came to him also from Jerusalem and from Adomia, from beyond the Jordan and from the neighborhood of Tyre and Sidon. He told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd so that they would not crush him. He had cured many and as a result, those who had diseases were pressing upon him to touch him. And whenever unclean spirits saw him, they would fall down before him and shout, you are the son of God. He warned them sternly not to make him known. Okay. Sorry, my neighbor's dog is acting up. Great. Okay, so <clears throat> let's go back and look at it carefully here. 
Jesus withdrew towards the sea with his disciples. A large number of people followed from Galilee and from Judea. Hearing what he was doing, a large number of people came to him also from Jerusalem, from Edomia, from beyond the Jordan, and from the neighborhoods of Tyre and Sidon. All right. He withdrew. He withdrew toward the sea. Toward the sea. All right. Why? Why toward the sea? With his disciples. Now, interesting. The sea often talks about uh, like the world, uh, sort of like the Gentile nations, but the people, the people, a large number of people followed from Galilee. Now we know that Galilee is um, kind of a cosmopolitan region. There's not just Jews, there's uh, Greeks, there's uh, Arabs, there's uh, Phoenicians who live there, there's uh, uh, you know maybe even Samaritans, there's Romans. There's a lot. There's a lot of um, a Greek city near uh, Nazareth, called I think uh, like a Tecopolis or a, you know other towns that were built by Herod for for trade. So a large number of people followed from Galilee and from Judea, people who came from the regions of the from the tribe of Judah. They all came towards him. They all came towards the sea, and. He had to get into a boat, it says, because the people would have crushed him. He told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, so they would not crush him. Uh, the boat is also a picture of the church. And now the church is riding on the waters. The church has gone out into the waters, into the people, into the world. That's how some of the um, the church fathers often interpret it. Because remember, when you look in the book of Revelation, he spoke with the voice of many waters, meaning the people, the languages of the people. So now the church is out there in the world. Christ is now out there with the people. You know, the gospel is being preached. And... Um, it says here that they would not crush him. The, you know, obviously, um, the people are coming really, I mean, they're desperate. They're, they're throwing themselves at him. They're, they're desperate for a, for a savior. They're desperate to be cured of their diseases. <clears throat> they're coming at him. So the church has to be in charge of the gospel. The church has to send out the gospel. Okay, he had cured many as a result. Those who had diseases were pressing upon him to touch him, pressing upon him, desperate, um, desperate for his holiness, desperate for his, um, for his sanctity, desperate for the grace that he provides. They're like feeding off of him, almost like, um, uh, like you know, like you can almost like bees to honey. 
or flies to honey or or flies to fly paper. They're just desperate. They're they're drawn to him. They're drawn to his light. They're drawn to his holiness. They desperately want they just they desperately want to nourish and feed off his holiness. Very Eucharistic. Okay. Um and whenever unclean spirits saw him, they would fall down before him and shout, You are the Son of God. He warned them sternly not to make him known. So even the unclean spirits, they're sort of like as a positive and a negative. All right, they see him, they fall down. They have to acknowledge who he is. Remember, these are the spirits of fallen angels, the demons who fell with Lucifer. And even they are drawn to him as well as they hate him. I guess it's possible when you think about it. I mean, how many how many wicked and evil men enter the priesthood? They love the church and they hate the church. Right? It's it's possible. People people can I guess can can be drawn to holiness. They like the attraction of holiness as well as the fact that they despise it because they don't like the limitations, the demands that holiness makes. Some people find it impossible. It's very interesting. Um, fascinating, but also, um, you know, it's pretty, it's also, it's extremely scary, but it's also, the scene here is very beautiful. You see how powerful Jesus draws people. They come, they, they're drawn to him. People will go far and wide. In a movie like um, The Song of Bernadette, people came from afar to, to Lourdes. And for the miracle of Fatima, people came from far to, to, to Fatima because they heard that the, that, that the Virgin Mary appeared. People will do anything because they're desperate for, uh, for, for God. They're desperate for a sign from God. The world sometimes, to a lot of people, it feels so oppressive that a lot of people wonder, does God exist? For some people, it's almost impossible because they see so much evil, they're scandalized by all the evil around them. Um, that they sometimes wonder, you know, people think to themselves that God has forgotten, that God abandoned or maybe they they're told that god doesn't exist by some people by you know people who would desperately want you not to believe in god so that you only believe that this is the only thing that exists this world but when people find out that there is something other that there's some power on earth that cannot be explained they're drawn even atheists are drawn they're curious. And the thing is, of course, you know, at the same time, you don't want to be made into a fool because people are so desperate to believe that they sometimes believe anything. But you should question, question and put everything to the test uh, until, you know, question everything. And I think that's important. But sometimes... <clears throat> when truth 
is finally manifested, I think, when it proved, when you know something is true without question in your own heart. And that's the thing. Truth is something, you know, it has to, one, one, I think here's the thing. Are miracles important to prove that faith is real? Is faith dependent on a miracle? I would say yes and no. Yes, miracles are beautiful, are important, but they're not necessarily always important for the proof of faith. Um, there's a line, I think, in the Bernadette, the first original Bernadette, based on the book, The Song of Bernadette. <clears throat> for those who believe, um, no um, no explanation is necessary. For those who do not believe, no explanation is possible. In other words, people who believe in God who already believe in God, they don't necessarily are dependent on proof or even miracles because your faith should surpass even that of a miracle. Remember like when Thomas, um, <clears throat> he said that he will not believe that Christ risen until he sees him in front of him, until he touches the wounds of his hands and feet and put his hand, his hand in the side where Jesus was pierced. Jesus then appears and he presents his hands and feet and he takes Thomas's hand and places it in the side where he was pierced. Thomas then cries out, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, you believe because you see Blessed are those who believe and do not see. You see what I'm saying? It's <clears throat> it's not always based on miracles. Faith is something that surpasses even scientific proof. It surpasses even <clears throat> the worst of evil. Faith is always being put to the test. You can't just have faith alone. You got to have faith and love. You can't just say, I believe in God. You got to love God. Even when your prayer is not being answered, you have to love God. You have to believe that God has heard you even when he didn't answer your prayers. But at the same time, when he, he's heard you, he's answered your prayers. I know some people want so desperately that God can answer our prayers. But what if, what if that's not what we need? What if like, say the moment that we're here, we're in trouble. Maybe he wants us to go through it. Maybe there's a, re a greater reason why he wants us to go through it. You know, how many people have... You know, they call it um, been put to the test, a crucible, you know, put through the, the grinder. You've gone through the worst you can possibly think of. And suddenly you have all that left is your faith. 
even when the world mocks you and laughs at you. You know, <clears throat> Dr. Taylor Marshall today in his podcast is talking about the results of the election. Um, the fact that now Trump is not finishing a second term. And do we feel used? Do we feel um, mocked and laughed at? Yeah. Yeah, we do. Do we feel cheated? Most definitely we do. But what if there's a re what if there's a greater reason for this? What if the what if the defeat is is a, is a road to a greater victory, to a much greater good? Right? The early Christians when they found themselves in horrible circumstances, persecution, first under Saul, under the high priesthood, persecution in, let's say, Rome under Nero. What, and under other, other situations, horrible situations like um, other different Caesars, where they were persecuted and humiliated and, and, and mocked at, blamed for stupid things that they didn't do. What if there's more to it? What if there's more to it that God wants us to fulfill that we do not comprehend and understand? You know, <clears throat> it's, remember the, which I'm sorry, I don't remember her name. Um, I feel so bad. Um, the parents of the um, the young woman that was caught by the ISIS leader, uh, who was held captive, um, horribly, horribly abused, molested, and then she was murdered. And her parents never, never got her body back. Her body has never been discovered. She didn't lose her faith. Even when her circumstances were so bad that she was going to die. Did, did she... Was she wrong? No. No, she wasn't wrong. Her circumstances, her death, would would bear greater fruit. Her story would would inspire. She's a saint. She's a saint. She's a martyr. She's, you know, even though her parents. <clears throat> have a big void in their heart. We can never understand her, her, her parents' pain. But the point is, she's a, she is a martyr. And she's not the only one. There were many people in the Middle East, many Christians, um, who did not have their, their, faith, their prayers answered, you know, when they were martyred. We, we think they didn't. Remember the Coptics, the, the more than 20 Coptics who were murdered 
had their throats slashed. They too were martyrs. You know, it's difficult to understand, but miracles, the reason why I'm trying to point out here is that miracles, (sighs) the miracle is faith. That's the greatest miracle is faith. And the book of Hebrews says is that this world is not worthy of us. It's not worthy of us. We're too good for this world if we have faith and we do not lose faith in Jesus Christ. So we have to we have to really trust and surrender ourselves you know, in these trying times. Why are we here? We're here because this is exactly where God wants us to be, where we need to be. Anyway, I'm going to end it here. Um, I'll be back again for Saturday uh, for the readings. And um, I'm going to try to put a few extra reports. I have some articles I will put in, um, maybe I might do it tomorrow night if it's possible, but we'll see. So, um, God bless you guys, everyone. God bless you all. And, um, please go to the Facebook page for the informed Catholic. And, um, well, let's just end it with an, our father and a hail Mary. All right. In the name of the father, son, and Holy spirit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Now, the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless, and we'll be back together again soon.